a friend of mine, can't remember exactly how he got it, but it was either a wedding gift or when they bought their house. But just gave it to him for the hell of it. He had a uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark poster signed by Spielberg and Lucas and Harrison Ford. Just gave it to him. And I'm like, I told him to look into selling it and he just, I mean, I wouldn't sell it if it was given to me. Like, I, I couldn't. Something signed by Lucas and Spielberg. Like, Harrison Ford, okay, that's great. But Lucas and Spielberg signed on the same thing. I couldn't sell it. That's yeah. like no retirement way. right there. <laughs> you know what? If you held on to it long enough, mm-hmm. that you, you could probably turn that in at some point for a decent book. That's the stuff that's hard to part with, though. Like, you keep it for that long, and it just becomes a part of you. You don't it, want to it. It really depends on the price. <laughs> There's always a price for Mike. Well, no, no. I'm just being honest. Like the, <laughs> There's always the money Jedi in the poster, banana stand. <laughs> that, you know, that, that right now we could probably get twelve to 1500 for it. That's not enough for me to part with it. But in 20 years, if somebody offers me thirty grand for it, I'm going to and grab it off the shelf and hope I don't break it running to the give it to them. Like <laughs> it, it's it's there's a huge difference. You know what I mean? If it gets near a year's salary, all right, we're, we're starting to talk. It doesn't really matter what in here outside of my wife and my dog can have the cat. <laughs> but I don't um, think there's much of anything I wouldn't part with. You know, except the cat. And welcome to another episode of Bry Guy and His Super Friends. I'm your host, Brian Labick. Joining me for this episode is Mike Bradley. Hello. And I get to introduce a new super friend for this one, Paula Miller. Hello. Welcome to the show, Paula. Thanks, I'm a super friend now. <laughs> yeah, truth be told, I've been trying to get you on for a while. I think there's been a lot of Star Wars content we've been trying to cover where I've asked you a couple times. We haven't got it to work out schedule-wise, but I'm really excited you're finally here. I have a terrible schedule. I work all the time. <laughs> that does seem like that's fun. what happens. It's true. I'm the opposite. I'm unemployed. So. <laughs> Mike is free all the time. That's why yes. he's here every week. Some of us are just so lucky. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Being <laughs> broke is so much fun. Money is <laughs> no, the like, worst. You're like my slave. That's just how it is. You know, I, if you start paying me, we'll, we'll see if we can work out. When I start getting some money, it'll definitely trickle downhill. Excellent. <laughs> but right now I'm I'm trickling zero, so keep keep waiting. Uh, all right, so if you haven't guessed uh, for this episode, we're gonna finally get around to covering Star Wars Rebels. This is the animated Star Wars show that, uh, in many ways, is a spiritual successor to the Clone Wars animated series. Both the Clone Wars and Rebels are basically the brainchild of Pittsburgh's own Dave Filoni, who heads up the Lucasfilm Animation Division. Um, we have covered Rebels stuff in the past. Uh, now it seems like the perfect time to come back to it now that the series has ended. There's definitely a lot to unpack, so this could be a fun look back at the show as a whole and talk about how it ended. I think we're all sort of chomping at the bit ready to do that. Uh, so my plan for this episode, we'll probably start talking about the back half of season four leading up to the finale, and then we'll talk about the finale, and then we'll just sort of wrap up the show as a whole, what we thought, what we liked, 
what stood out to us, that kind of thing. Um, but before we dive into the show, I think this is probably the best opportunity to put Paula on the spot and get the listeners a chance to know her a little bit better. Okay. So if you've listened to past episodes, or especially Star Wars episodes, I think you know where Mike and I are coming from when it comes to Star Wars. But since Paula's new, I think we get to get a little bit more of a background for her. So Paula, when did you start uh, getting into the Star Wars fandom? Did you come in late, or were you there early on? Um, well, like every good little sister, I was influenced by my sister, who go. loved Star Wars. So, um, she's not as much into Star Wars anymore, because she had a child, so... Um, and her daughter doesn't, isn't crazy about Star Wars, even though I'm trying to get her into Star Wars. (laughs) So when, um, that all started, it was just one of those things where it was just such a beautiful story. And of course I was, I love adventure and, um, I was working at Kmart (laughs) in, um, high school. And I remember the first thing I ever put on Kmart layaway was the Star Wars uh, VHSs because it came in a three-pack, <laughs> and I was so excited, and I had to put it on layaway because it was like $90, and I still have it. Um, so it has been a long time of um, loving Star Wars, and for a while, it's just like, you know, you kind of forget about it. You're in college, and you're doing, you know, everything you need to do to survive, and it's finally coming all back where it's just like... <sighs> I love it so much. It's just you such can't an escape it now. It's, it no. is everywhere, and it is not going away anytime soon. And it's all over my house, <laughs> and I'm driving my husband crazy with the amount of Star Wars stuff that I have in the house. So, <laughs> and I've become a huge uh, Raylo fan. So, oh, uh, that's right. I should have brought that up. Yeah, yeah. It's terrible. I am just <laughs> fan fiction and artwork and anything I can get my hands on I just I'm in love with Raylo so that's I'm on that train I'm on that ship I'm going down with that ship Paula knows where I stand on that but yet she still continues <laughs> to send me everything she possibly finds where it supports this theory it's true <laughs> I will win you over it's like the only other time my Twitter feed blows up and once Paula's like oh here's some more Raylo trash oh sorry about that <laughs> <laughs> sorry not sorry <laughs> No, I will tell fun. you. It's fun to get that perspective. Like it's it's stuff that I never thought about or really like dove into. I guess, but yeah, you, since you're shipping that, it's a nice nice perspective to have. To have like all that stuff. my Ray and my Kylo Ren Legos are touching hands. Like, <laughs> that's where we are on this level. It's pretty bad. You're just hoping it's gonna ha- wishing it to happen. Oh, it's gonna happen. You can. Oh yeah. <laughs> I think if it was gonna happen, it would have happened. It's gonna happen. <laughs> Paula's going down with this until it sinks. Oh yeah, it's not gonna. It's not sinking. It's floating <laughs> all the way to episode nine. <laughs> um, and Paula, you've read some of the novels too, right? Yes, I just finished Bloodlines, which was amazing. I, I actually had to start it twice because the the beginning of it was a little slow. Um, yeah. But uh, really enjoying the novelizations, and I'm really impressed of what they're doing with it. And mm. um, I love the Ahsoka book. It was just, you know, fabulous. I can't... I'm probably going to read it again. It was that good. That's one I still have to get to myself. Mike, you read Ahsoka, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Okay. I very much enjoyed Ahsoka. Um, okay. it, it's not my favorite of the new ones. It, it's a damn good book, but... Um, Thrawn, still currently, Thrawn and Tarkin are my two favorites of the new books. 
Um, okay. But it, that's I, I like. I'm drawn more to that end of the spectrum of it, the political intrigue. Right. Okay. And stuff like that with Thrawn and Tarkin more than the. Uh, I don't even know how I would qualify the Ahsoka book. I'm not sure how, what I would define it, but like Castaway. It was kind of um, rough and dirty. On the run. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think for the Thrawn one, I really enjoyed Thrawn too, and I I sort of hype that to people, at least for the back half. It takes a little bit before it hits that tone, but the back half of it is definitely like a Sherlock Holmes, Watson, Moriarty feel to it. Mm-hmm. Like the chess game between Thrawn and his nemesis and stuff like that. I I was really drawn to that. I really liked all that stuff. I was hooked on Thrawn from the moment that he tricks them in the beginning. Like it was like, oh, okay, so they're gonna play him as outsmarting everybody the whole way. Yeah. I like it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I was hooked right there to see what else he was capable of. Um, Did either of you read the, I think it was the first book they put in the new canon, which was the Rebels prequel, A New Dawn? I did Kanan not and Hera? That. No? Mm-mm. That was one I did read, and that was actually, I tried to make it a point to finish that before Rebels started. So that was kind of fun to see how the two of them met prior to Rebels, and then when you start watching the series, you have a little bit more of that backstory. It, it It's not the best of some of the canon novels, but if you are just looking for more Rebels content, I think it's a really good canon and Hera book. I, I think so. probably after like the end, and now that there is no more Rebels, this is the time I'll go hunting more Rebels. Yeah. You mean, like, this is when it's like, okay, I, I, I'll, now I'll need to scratch that itch and go get more content elsewhere. Yeah, so if you're looking for more Rebels stuff, I think, you know, just to see those characters again, you guys are both recommending Ahsoka, Mike and I are both recommending Thrawn, and I'd still say check out A New Dawn, too. So any one of those books, I think, would work really well. If you're a fan of the show and want to get some more from those characters, those are the way to go. Um, Paula, one more question for you, and sure. I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this. Okay. Favorite Star Wars character? Um, It's Ahsoka. <laughs> <laughs> She's my spirit animal. And to be honest, before it was Ahsoka, it was Obi-Wan. Okay. Um, none, none of my friends would see um, uh, The Phantom Menace with me. <laughs> uh, so I'd go by myself. And it was one of those things where, like, seeing young Obi-Wan mm-hmm. and Ewan McGregor, oh, my heart. <laughs> um, he was phenomenal. <laughs> um, so he was my favorite for a while. But whenever I, Ahsoka, when I, you had recommended um, the Clone Wars, so I started watching that. Yeah. Which was amazing. And watching her develop and progress and then seeing her in Rebels and how she's just developed into this amazing, strong character. Uh, it was just, um, it's love at first sight. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, she is my favorite. Yeah, it's funny how she was, like, much blind when Clone Wars started, and now you watch Rebels and everyone fucking loves her. She's great. So it is it is fun to see that turnaround. Clone Wars was not as good when it started as it was when it finished. No, 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 definitely not. Those, those so, first That first season is a little bit of a chore to get through. Especially that finish? movie. That, did it that finish? First... <laughs> oh, the movie I don't even bother with. The like, movie was nice because they got some of the original cast members like from the movie to voice some characters like i think christopher lee's in there and sam jackson's in there for a little bit and stuff like that but 
I thought that was going to be a sign of things to come, like actually getting those actors to portray those characters in the animated series, but no, we weren't that lucky. No, no. I mean, if only we could have been, but Christopher Lee and, you know, Samuel Jackson, they're not coming cheap. Oh, yeah. So. I just figured they'd limit screen time for those characters through Clone Wars, but they did not. No. But yeah, it's fine too cuz Clone Wars actually came around too. I thought that was a really good really good show. It's I'm it's really tough for me to decide whether I like Clone Wars or Rebels better. Like uh, which which one of the two? I think I they, like Rebels better because I feel like there was less filler. Like there was less like fluff episodes that I had to get true. through. That's true. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think you know. That's probably the, it down. the benefit of Rebels being able to end on their own terms where Clone Wars mm-hmm. was was a casualty of the Disney purchase of LucasArts, uh, Lucasfilm, because mm-hmm. they canceled that shortly after that that buyout and moved to Disney, and then that was where we started getting Rebels and stuff from. So, yeah, I, yeah I'd might... also say like if you take instead of the twenty some odd episodes we'd get every season of Clone Wars, you chunk that down into what the last couple seasons of Rebels was into like a more 12 to 14 episode season. Yeah. And just take out what she's talking about, those fluff episodes that weren't really necessary. Clone Wars improves a lot. Yeah. It's just, when are we going to run into one of these episodes that's going to be a one-shot with some planet they're never going to return to or reference again that's just there and they have maybe two to five minutes of actual content that's going to matter for the entire series. Yeah. And um, it's probably something we can get into when we when we cross the spoiler threshold, but just seeing the connections between Clone Wars and Rebels and, and reoccurring characters that were in Clone Wars that show up in Rebels and mm-hmm. stuff that was set up in, or used at least in Clone Wars and pays off later in Rebels, all that stuff, I eat that stuff up. That mm-hmm. type of continuity is stuff that I, I really enjoy. It's, it's rewarding and, for fans of the series that stick with all of the stuff. And I think you and I talked before about, you know, anything Dave Filoni does, I'm going to be on board for. Yes. Um, yeah, I think Paula just bought a t-shirt that says something similar. It does. It says Filoni um, in Star Wars letters. Uh, and underneath <laughs> it's, it says, should make all the Star Wars movies. <laughs> <laughs> that is the absolute truth. That's the point I was going to get at. Can Like, if we can just get through to Kathleen Kennedy and Dave Filoni himself, if he wants to do it. Just let him write all of this stuff. The guy gets it. He, like, every step of the way, This especially the last, every season of Rebels, he got it. Like, it was just, every season had great moments, moments that touched your heart, moments that made you excited, anxious, everything. So, I don't know, he, he gets Star Wars better than I think anybody else I've seen write anything for them. I think even if you see any interviews with Filoni, he's very quick to point out, like, he is, the person that taught him everything he knows about how to tell a story and stuff in the Star Wars universe was George Lucas. Mm-hmm. He worked side by side with George Lucas through the Clone Wars and learned everything that he could from George and tries to pass that torch now since George isn't really involved too much in Star Wars anymore. So Filoni is the, is the heir apparent to what George Lucas was. And it's mm-hmm. like they cross every T and dot every I, and it's like everything is so connected. And and whenever you f- see that connection in Rebels, it's like, oh my gosh! Yes, 
I love that whenever they're tying like the movies and the books and everything together. And it's like, thank you, Dave Filoni. (laughs) Thank you you for all of that. There's, we'll get into it, but there's one particular scene from the last episode that just, to me was just like, where was this scene in any movie that we wanted ever? (laughs) And we'll, we'll get into that when the time comes though. All right. Yeah. I think we're, we're starting to lead into our rebels, rebels discussion. So we're going to, Started to get into when we can freely talk about this stuff. So, first off, congratulations, Paula. You are now initiated into the podcast. Woo! You are now a super friend. Yay. Um, and at this point, yeah, we're going to throw out the spoiler warning so we can move on to our Rebels discussion. And the only thing, um, normally, I think when we try to do reviews, I try to do like a spoiler-free section and then we'll get into spoilers. But with this show, I think we're I'm afraid where we're going to jump around, especially when we start to get into this. So I think it's safer just to throw out the spoiler warning now. Uh, so we'll be covering the series of Rebels, the finale of Rebels, all that stuff. Um, so if you haven't seen the series or haven't seen the end and don't want to hear spoilers for how it ends and <clears throat> everything else involved with the series, you can pause this now. Come back to us after you catch up. We will be here waiting. This is your final warning for spoilers for Rebels. Spoiler! Spoiler! You know, something like that. All right, so as I said earlier, we'll probably try to start this this discussion um, talking about when Rebels came back from their break this past season. So it'll be the, the episodes leading up to the finale. We'll try to save the finale, sort of work our way into it. So without really diving into the finale, what stood out to you? Uh, let's, go, let's go with Paula. What stood out to you from some of the episodes leading up to the finale? Um, Ahsoka lives. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't wait to like... I, I was not sure that he was going to tell us that. Like, I wasn't sure we were going to get closure on that. But in celebrations, when he was wearing, you know, Dave Filoni was wearing the Ahsoka Lives t-shirt with the question mark. Uh-huh. And then he came out with the explanation point. <laughs> I was like, okay, we're finally going to get, I'm going to get some closure. I just, you know, on this whole story. Um, I just think the whole it just came together so well. And even though we lost characters that we loved, it had to happen. So I'm, I'm coming to terms with the fact that we've lost people. Yeah. And that, I mean, Kanan would have been, we'll just say it now since we're in the spoilers, but Kanan would have been the one I pegged, I think as being the one to go. We couldn't have two Jedi roaming the galaxy at this stage. Right. I mean, like we won't get into the end or anything yet, but it, it it couldn't just be that way. Yeah, I mean, it, it just couldn't. You couldn't have them just out there to God knows where. Because we've had these discussions too. When we talked about rebels in the past. Is like if these characters are alive during the events of A New Hope, why the hell are they not with the Rebel Alliance when A New Hope happens? Right. That was a big lingering question, given the given the time period. So, I I was still adamant that if they did live between like Kanan and Ezra, that they would just be off doing Jedi things somewhere, like like some sort of spiritual mission or something, and try to get away from the fighting type of thing but yeah if i if i was going to peg somebody as, as going it was going to be kanan and i thought that was handled really really well i was still really surprised the first episode out of the gate coming back from the break was the one where they killed him i was not expecting it to happen that soon no i i honestly thought that was going to be something in the final episode or yeah. next to last episode something that i'm know, glad it i'm glad it did things. happen though because the more i thought about ezra and his development he Kanan had to leave because Ezra never would have grown. He just would have been 
you know, looking to Kanan as that figure who's going to make all the decisions for me and, you know, what do I do now? Kind yeah. of. Mm-hmm. So he really, I mean, Kanan had to, had to go. He had to uh, die. <laughs> I don't want to say it. Well, I mean, and it's also the Star Wars trope. I mean, it, it happens to every young Padawan at some point, just kind of like it happens to every Sith apprentice at some point. They see their master die. Yeah. Um, seemingly, that's just, it It happens to all of them. Um, so. And Ahsoka doesn't count because she's not a Jedi any longer. <laughs> no. Um, she, well, she doesn't. She's not. She's, right. She's a Force user, but she's not a Jedi, so. And one of the things that, um, you know, Thrawn had said in these final episodes is, you know, there's the Jedi really aren't out there anymore. It's just some ill-equipped kids like yourself, as he was speaking to Ezra. And it's, you know, the same as the broom kid at the end of um, The Last Jedi. And like, they're out there. There's four sensitives, but they're just not Jedi. And we all know, like, Kanan went through um, with his visions when he was... Um, in the Jedi Temple, he is a Jedi Knight, so he couldn't survive. That's actually yeah. something else. If if actually anybody's looking to get more, aside from the New Dawn um, novel, Kanan has a 12-issue comic book. Mm. So you do get a little bit of backstory of... It's actually like, I think the comic starts right when Order 66 happens. So it's right with him entrenched with his master... And a bunch of clone troopers, and then the order comes out for all the Jedi to get exterminated, and him and his master go on the run, his master dies, and it's just him. And it's how he survives that purge, and what happens to him after that, and I don't, I can't remember the time period at, at which it, it takes place over, um, but it's sort of like how he grew up from young kid into a teenager and made his way through the galaxy and tried to stay hidden for a couple years. So that's yeah. another, you know, if anybody's looking for backstory stuff for some of these characters, that's another thing you can check out too. And the, what then, as far as Ahsoka coming back and everything, that that episode specifically, outside of the finale, stood out to me than, more than any of the others. I mean, it introduced something I would not have expected them to use which is i don't want to say it's time travel because it's not it's more like interdimensional travel which is weird for star wars yeah that was you know not something i expected to see come into the series so i feel like there's definitely some kind of game changer there moving forward I, I read something about that had um, that Dave Filoni definitely wanted something like that. He had that always like in his mind that he wanted something that connected every aspect of the force. And that episode, which you're right, it was a beautiful episode. It was full, you know, it had adventure. It had, um, you know, those moments that made you really think. And and it connected so much in in just that episode with all of the Star Wars movies and mm-hmm. tv shows and i was just i watched it twice because it was just so good <laughs> i'm like who am i hearing what am i listening to it was amazing don't lie paula you just wanted to see ezra save ahsoka again okay that too <laughs> <laughs> we can't save ahsoka enough and i even loved how that was handled too because if you go back and like watch the end of season two when ahsoka faced vader the way that 
episode in season four plays out when Ezra pulls her through and she goes back through the portal, it lines up perfectly with the way that season ends, which makes me believe that Filoni had that idea, the end of this pegged long ago and was just abiding his time. He had, he loves his secrets and to hold that secret for like two or three years and be like, yep, Mm. I know Ahsoka lives and I know exactly how she's going to come back, but I ain't going to tell you guys shit until it happens. Like, that's great. And I mean, the best way to write a story always is to work from the ends and then yeah. come back. You know, the, this is where I want it to go. How do I get there? And using Ahsoka battling Anakin to get there, fantastic. Because um, I actually think that's how that went. I think he had that idea before he had the Ahsoka invader face off in that Sith temple. Yeah, Which could be. I- I think is one of my favorite episodes in the whole series is Twilight of the Rentis. It was just phenomenal. Until the finale, that was my favorite episode. <laughs> um, the finale took that, but until the finale, that it's definitely my second favorite. So, yeah, there, you know, I was trying to think like there are a lot of memorable episodes or at least moments that I can think of that really stood out to me from the series. Mm-hmm. Maybe that that'll probably be a good place to wrap up whenever we get to the end. Is we'll 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 go through some favorite moments from the series and and talk about some of those. Okay, I have a few. Um, yeah, <laughs> you have your list, I'm sure. I totally have a list. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know, sort of what Mike was saying. I the the concept of sort of like this time travel element to it was something I was not expecting at all to be introduced into Star Wars, and now that it's in there, and it's considered part of canon. Now you start wondering, are they, is anybody ever going to use this again? And for what? Or is this going to be sort of a one-off just for Rebels to serve this story and this purpose for Ezra? Or if this... Because they could bring this back whenever they want to for whatever... If, if they actually wanted to bring Luke back from the dead, this is something they could do. Yeah. Is it... Uh, do it, you have to be at a specific kind of Jedi temple for that, though? Is it accessible to, at any Jedi temple? This world between worlds. I would say no. I, I wouldn't think that it is. Um, that is a good point. And the temple that they that he accesses it from is destroyed. Yeah. But there's also evidently some sort of way that Palpatine was able to manipulate it so that he's able to kind of enter with a tether of sorts. Like he has to tether into it, but he can get in. And he can open a portal to see in. Well, I think the way so that was described. That? Uh, see, I don't think the difference there, I think, is that Palpatine wasn't looking. I mean, yes, he's trying to get into the, the world between worlds where Ahsoka and Ezra were in that episode. But I think the difference is he's not just looking through a door. He is looking for Ezra and Ezra is in there. And that's how he's able to see because he's looking for Ezra, not the not that specific space. Okay. So that's why he was trying to grab a hold of Ezra. Ezra was the the anchor, right? To hopefully get him in there. Well, then, for all we know, there's not another entrance. Yeah, I, it has to but be for something all we know, with there the. Is. <laughs> you know, like, and that was another Clone Wars callback that I liked is the the Mortis gods mm-hmm. in that episode. That so, was awesome. So maybe it's just that if you find a temple with the the Mortis drawings or or paintings on there, that maybe that's a signal that you could get to that space through there. Could be. But at the same time, I don't feel like the Mortis people are just on like every other Jedi temple. Like, I feel like those the temples that they're on have to be special for certain reasons. Yeah. 
And I so, don't think that the emperor really knew what that was anyway, because when he was explaining it, uh, I think it might have been to Thrawn. He said it's, you know, for it's a, something between life and death. Um, so I don't think he completely understood like what that portal really was. Like he had an idea, but not the scope of it. I don't. I think he had an idea, but he was wrong because I feel like if he knew what that was capable of allowing him to do, I feel like he would have had a much more direct involvement with opening that than having just some guy that you know we never seen before, and never see again in the series as his emissary down there trying to get it open i no, think no, he would have personally been there because he could do anything from inside it if he got in I, I think the emperor knows more about that stuff than we think i think any anything you read i think canon wise or that's that, that takes place over that time period the emperor is definitely trying to find any types of jedi or force sensitive relics that he can get his hands on mm-hmm. he is combing the galaxy for jedi relics and all that kind of stuff so i think he probably at least I'm interpreting it that way, that he, he has a better idea of what it can do and what it should do, but he can't figure out how to get in there. And once someone gets in and he finds out someone gets in, obviously he's halfway across the galaxy, so he, I don't think he could have predicted Ezra could get in there. But once he found out Ezra was in there, he had to find Ezra to try to try to get in there, if, that, if you can follow my line of thought there. Yeah, no, I, I get am. what you're saying. I just think... I just think if he actually knew, he would have taken a much more direct involvement. It takes a lot to rule the galaxy. <laughs> yeah, but... It's if, a lot of time and effort. But if he got in there, he could just fix anything that had happened in the meantime. He just projects himself wherever he needs to be. <laughs> yes. I'm going to project myself here. Force FaceTime, everybody. Force FaceTime. <laughs> Force Skype. Um... Yeah, I don't know if there's... Was there anything else in the, the episodes leading up to it? I mean, those were the two big things. The Kanan dying and the, the World Between Worlds area, I think, are the two big ones that happened in the lead-up to the finale. And the Loath Wolves. I mean, Kanan becoming Doom. Yeah, yeah. I think... Okay. I, I, I personally... I, I love the symbiont circle that they're putting together within the Force with the Loath, Loath Wolves. That, again, animals being Force-sensitive really was never introduced before this. Um, and now we have these Loath Wolves that are capable of channeling a recently deceased Jedi. Um, whenever so, so- Kanan was, like, um, meditating and he had, like, eye contact with that wolf... And Ahsoka even said he kind of projected himself into that wolf. Like he projected his, I don't know, his soul or his something into that wolf that kind of embodied Kanan. And it wasn't, I don't want to say it was Kanan, like already reborn into something or or (laughs) it was a force uh, thing, but it was like he was meditating and the wolf was right across from him and and he kind of took on whatever Kanan needed him to be at that time. And it was, yeah. you know, something mm-hmm. that could direct Ezra and help Ezra. And then, you know, obviously being on Lothal, it's something that Ezra could probably be in tune with because it's, you know, the Loth Wolf and Ezra's from Lothal. Well, it's established even earlier in seasons that 
Ezra has some sort of connection to animals. Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. Like the the was it the Lothcat Lothcats? The the mm-hmm. little the little ones he was talking to for a while. And the Pargo. Um, which ones are those? I don't know if I know that by name. The the big squid things. Oh yeah, yeah. Squid. Yeah. Animals. Space whales. Space whales. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I thought. I always space thought of them squid. as space whales. Purgles. Per- pargles. Purgles. Something like that. And then there was a that I think there was another episode in season one with some sort of uh creature that was in that abandoned base. Right? I can't think of I don't know what they were called. And I can't oh, remember I know if what they you're were talking about. For some reason I keep wanting to say they're like big bugs, but I don't think they were big bugs. Oh, it's because it's, he got real pissed off that episode, and that was the first sign of like, oh, this guy could be bad. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, he didn't he didn't go that way, so I'm, I'm kind of glad of that. But that was like an interesting sort of like fork in the road. Like at that point, you're not sure if Ezra's gonna. That was that was where everyone started predicting like, oh, Ezra's gonna come back in the sequel trilogy as a bad guy. Like everyone just started predicting him as being some sort of dark Jedi that's gonna be like like Snoke. Suddenly, he was part of the Snoke theories and all that shit. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, they set up a lot of stuff that pays off very, very well by the end. I mean, I think with the, like, to me, the, the Lothwolves involvement with opening the portal, even, I think, I don't know, it, it just spoke to a higher level of contact the Sith just were not capable of. And what could just come down to the point where it's a Jedi temple, only Jedi can come in. They're not going to allow dark side force users to enter that temple. No, but I'm saying like what you're saying about Ezra speaking with the animals and having that connection. It's just something that oh, okay. I see. The, oh, yeah. the Sith are just not capable of because they don't have the pure heart that the animals can just sense. Yeah. Because, you know, animals have that sense of good versus bad, you know, danger, things like that. And that connection that they're showing... Ezra to have, I think, is significant in that sense. It's establishing a more mystical sense to the Force once again, as opposed to just midichlorians, hooray. And <laughs> yeah, no one, no one should ever mention that word ever again. Sorry. That- I'm going to mention it at the end of the podcast, <laughs> and I have, I have a reason for it. But Is that going to be your sign-off? <laughs> yes. Midichlorians, bitch, peace. <laughs> <laughs> midichlorians, mic drop. It's going to make sense, I promise. I'm going to tie it all together. I'm going to felony it together. Oh, boy. <laughs> that should be a thing that, that needs to happen. Everyone should just say felony. Felony. It's a verb now. <laughs> I just verbed it. We just it. made it happen. I'm going to felony it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So let's move on to the finale. Um, I'll let either one of you uh, roll with this. But anything that sticks out to you about the finale that you want to talk about? Right off the bat, I'll tell you, I loved the Hondo arc. Hondo oh, steps yeah. into this, and he is almost a Han Solo character at the beginning <laughs> of it. Admitting, you know what, I am a pirate. You're, you know, I'm not a smuggler, I'm a pirate. Whatever, okay, fine. But he's saying, that kid, I'll follow him anywhere. Yeah. What a great line. Doesn't have to be about money, whatever. Yeah. That said to me that, you know, Hondo and Han, these smugglers, they have something, you know, they, they have their set of rules, their code of ethics, morals, whatever you want to call it, but they're really just doing what they're doing because they hate the Empire, too. 
Yeah. And, you know, they're just trying to squeak out their own living the way they found out how. And they see a potential for a better life in following the Jedi and following with the Rebellion, helping them, even if their instincts tell them to run and just get paid. But the same and, thing with the the um, the clone um, troops is they, they had the same type of mentality and they're um, doing it because it's what they choose to do, not what they're told to do. And I yeah. thought that was mm-hmm. like in that same kind of arc, what you were talking about, like they're all there, they're all family. And I thought that was just, you know, with Hondo and the clones and... Um, they even pulled some characters there that Vizago. I totally forgot about. Yeah, like Vizago. <laughs> I totally Vizago forgot there. about him, and he shows yeah. up. And is it Pilch? Bilch? I can't... M- Milch. Milch? Milch? Mulch? I never can understand Milch. what Hondo's calling Milch. Yeah, that little pig guy. Because yeah. it rhymes with Belch, but it's with an M, so it's Melch. <laughs> okay, Melch. I, I Honestly, he was just the comic relief that you needed throughout the whole episode. The guy <laughs> when was... They, yeah, great. when they flung him up on the... The yeah. roof on the glass. <laughs> throws him, just amazing. <laughs> throws him up onto the glass, and he's just kind of laughing at them. They can fly. <laughs> yeah, I think it was and, Hondo that had the best joke for me in that episode, where they were they were trying to hang out above the planet and and stick to that cargo ship as it came in. Mm. He's trying to assure them, "I've been struck," and he starts counting. I've been struck many times, and just moves yeah. on and continues. That was great for me. I love that. Well, yeah, I mean, and that was, I thought that was a cool scene, but it was also like, if one single person on any of those Star Destroyers looks out the window, they're spotted. Like, that's oh, yeah. just, <laughs> like, it's so blatantly obvious on the side there. I was like, uh, I feel like they should have made them look more hidden. But everyone's too busy on their control consoles and the Star Destroyers to be looking out the windows. No one looks I... at space anymore. I guess it's just another stormtroopers are dumb thing. It's just cargo. Yeah. No one cares about cargo. <laughs> There's nothing on there, but um, the things they feed Ewoks with. What were those? I can't remember. Those little biscuits. They're just biscuits. <laughs> they feed the troops. Ewok cookies. Wookie yes. cookies. Wookie cookies. There you go. <laughs> um, um, go ahead. I, I think that... Are we just like bouncing around... The last episode? Yeah, whatever you, okay. whatever you want to touch on in the finale. Can we talk about, um, I just wear a tank top Gregor, uh, <laughs> that he got shot, and we're all, like, surprised that he died, but he's running around a little tank top? Yeah. Um, that made me furious. <laughs> like, can't you wear armor? But at the it end... It never helps the stormtroopers. All the stormtroopers are wearing armor. They go down real easy. That's true. Yeah, the plastic armor is not helping anything. No. They know it. <laughs> But what he said after he got shot is, you know, it was it was an honor fighting for something that we chose to fight for. Yeah. It was just one of those moments that I'm just like, oh, so good, so good. Yeah, I'm going to say, honestly, the entire arc they've told from the Clone Wars on through the end here and seeing at the end they tell you Rex was at the Battle of Endor, that just, Which that is touched something- me. I think we, you know? we even, I know there's a theory that was going online, and I, I feel like we might have talked about it on the show, but there was one one of the trailers for season four showed Rex with the like the Endor-looking hat and almost mm-hmm. like the, the camo that it was on, and then there was a production like still or something from the cast or, or whoever, the, the soldiers that were on the ground at Endor, and there was one that very definitely is has a white beard and is an older guy, 
Looks like he's wearing the exact same uniform. And just from the little bit that Rex was wearing that outfit in the trailer, people online started pointing at that and said, dude, this looks exactly like Rex. This has to be him. So to have that confirmed in the epilogue of the finale was like, yes, vindication. <laughs> exactly. We've been felonied. Like, we've all, we've <laughs> all been felonied. <laughs> Yeah, honestly, that's what Filoni started Clone Wars and Rebels. That was all it was about. He saw that bearded guy in Train of the Jedi, and he was like, <laughs> "Worked backwards idea. from there." Yep, <laughs> that makes sense now. Yeah, but I, I I thought that was a great arc for them the whole way through. Yeah, you know, and showing them going from mindless clones that follow the rules to fives finding the chip and removing it and so many of the others doing the same it just to me that was a great way to end the arc with them like as they said fighting for something they chose being Gregor's way of going out yeah I felt like that was great I mean I agreed and I know we've talked about it here and there too, but Ezra's arc wraps up very, very well in the finale. He's not whiny. Yes. <laughs> Poor Ezra. His character so growth. whiny. In the, in that last three, four episodes, his character since once Kanan dies just grows exponentially. As it definitely a seems like <clears throat> that last, like coming back from the break and in through the finale, it was all for Ezra's final lesson. Of mm-hmm. being able to let things go and not have to feel like he has to go back and change something. So that works with Kanan. That works with his parents. He's finally able to move on. Senses his destiny, whatever that may be. Because we still don't even really know. Since we don't know where him and Thrawn I, go. I was going to say, I, I, I know i seen not long after when I finally let myself see the spoilers. was like, I think Filoni confirmed that neither him nor Thrawn is dead. Yeah, it was in Rebel Fil- Recon. Yeah. Filoni had said that in his mind they are alive somewhere. Now, whether or not that means he is able to continue those stories or someone else finds something else to do, but well, up to I, the guy I, who wrote the stories, it's he's saying they're still alive and kicking. I, I think that's where this all leads is Sabine and Ahsoka chasing them down. Like, Ahsoka's going to look for Ezra. That's yeah. I mean, that's where this, the next show, whatever it is. I'm not convinced it's going to be a series. I, I could see them picking that up in a book. I'd read oh, it. I really hope not. I'd or, read it, but I really hope they do a, a, a more with that. I mean, it makes sense to use the characters you've already established in one animated series and then bringing them into another animated series. That makes sense. But I would not be surprised if, if they sort of just try to tell a one-off story into getting Ezra back and put that in a book. Trying to pull myself like super fangirl away from it for a second because you know how much i love ahsoka but she really is well loved in you know the star wars community and i mean i could definitely see see him going forward with that and he loves her are you talking about in a series or a book um in a series okay like i know you know it's one of those things that's near and dear to dave filoni's heart is ahsoka's character and her storyline Um, which is why I was so surprised that she was gone for like two years. <laughs> yeah, I was surprised it took that long to get back to Ahsoka. But it's probably because Dave was like, "I know she's alive. We don't have to rush to get there." Damn it's, it's him! Fine. Yeah, she's safe. Well, and I also feel like the whole thing is going to end up being all these animated series are actually just telling her story. 
in the long view of it all. Just like all from... the movies are from R2-D2's perspective? Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I mean, if you look at it, I mean, we start out the Clone Wars with just meeting Ahsoka. We end Rebels with Ahsoka going to look for Ezra. We don't get a whole lot of her story mixed in here, but we get some very important points of her story. And I think it could be what he's really trying to do is tell her entire story arc through these shows. But he realized that during this era, if he followed her that closely, it would not make sense. If he wanted okay. to continue with her afterwards. Because like, the same reasons you said. If she's around during A New Hope, Empire, and Jedi, what's she doing? Why isn't she helping? Right. You know, not was, a Jedi doesn't mean expecting not her. I was expecting her to show up in the finale and like fight alongside Ezra. I was surprised it mm-hmm. waited that long to bring like bring her back after she escaped that you know time the the between the two and, worlds uh, space. And that's kind of why I think a series is because I don't think you go through that much setup in your last few episodes of a current series to just turn it into a book. I, I think mean, that's setting up the next thing. It's a big galaxy. She could have been anywhere. <laughs> and it's still stories we want to hear though exactly mm-hmm. but I had the same thought like where what has she been doing where has she been because in the time frame where she was you know when we saw that episode of World Between Worlds and he pulls her out and then she goes back in and he says you know come find me Ezra says come find me like that was two years so she had two years to find him right and where what was she doing and that didn't seem like, like, I could see if, if Ezra had already sort of, like, come to terms with his destiny and, like, what he had to do in the finale. And then he tells her, come find me, meaning, like, I'm going to be lost. I need some help. But it's such an offhanded comment when he's just like, come find me when you get out. Like, I'm going to need your help. And she knows that Kanan is gone. Right. So I, I feel like he knew still, though. I still feel like he knew. It didn't seem like he had come to terms with his lesson yet in that moment like he started to get there it's i don't think it's until he turns down trying to go back and see his parents that he finally that the lesson takes its its toll with ezra and he finally comes to terms with what he needs to do i think up until then he's still there's still possibilities there and he's still trying to figure out which path he may or may not take see to me he never seemed all that tempted throughout that whole sequence because it's Palpatine, because he destroyed the temple to take that piece there, because he knows what he's doing. I don't think he's ever actually tempted. Like, they, they show his hand go toward the button, but I feel like he knows what's happening the whole time there. I feel like Ezra saw right through Palpatine's ruse. I, I agree. I think it, it started probably when he was leaving to go to Thrawn shuttle. Is, you know, when he yeah. decided to make that, that choice. Because Hera's like, we will find another way. We will take care of this. And he kind of let her believe that that was going to happen. And then, um, you know, left. Sabine knew, but he left to go to Thrawn's ship because that's exactly what Kanan did. He gave his life so that the other people could live. And that's what um, kind of the lesson that he was doing when he was going to Thrawn's ship. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I see that. Yeah, I see where you guys are coming from. But even that still kind of leans to my point that at the time when he tells Ahsoka, come find me, he's still not there yet. 
No. He's still still leaning into that, but it's not like, I know what's going to happen in a couple of days. I'm going to need help. Did he have that vision before? Like, did he... Kn- I'm trying to think. Did he have the vision before, like, um, before a world between worlds? See, I thought he started seeing them right, like, what was it, three episodes left? Which would have been, like, the hour and a half finale? Like, yeah. right when that begins is when he comes back and starts talking to them about, like, Thrawn's coming, we need to go. Yeah, he was kind of meditating. He's like, I know what I have to do. Yeah. I think he said that, like, mm-hmm. five times. <laughs> they were all like, we know what we have to do. <laughs> really? Because I don't know what you have to do. I, I still feel like it, it, it's it, it's leading to Ahsoka using that as he said to come find me. Yeah. And... At, you mean after he's gone... Yeah, at the very end, the last, yeah, you know, that's what I thought. Essentially, too. the last scene we get there with Sabine and Ahsoka, she's coming to come find Ezra. Well, the thing is, it's not just two years that have passed at that point. Right. That's more like no. probably five years, because that's after the Battle of Endor. It looks like more than that. I'm roughly. I'm just judging. Like, we don't know Sabine how long. I mean, that after city was Sabine looks. Yeah, but they they would have kicked the Empire out probably right before A New Hope. So you're looking at at least five years between A New Hope and the Battle of Endor. So if it takes place mm-hmm. right after the Battle of Endor and the Empire is finally crumbling, that's f- another five years. Plus the two years that she lost from the Between Two Worlds space. Mm-hmm. So if we want to... I'm just wondering what, what, what difference does the time make? The, not only has she been not, didn't find him for two years after leaving that space, but now it's been another five years on top of that. Like, do we know she got out th- of there in that time? I'm assuming when she popped out of that space and popped right back into where she came from, that the that was almost instantaneous. I don't think that was like two years later or present day when she popped out. I think she popped out right when she left. No, I mean we don't know what happened to her when she goes back, and she's like. That's, That's what I mean. True. There's there's a seven to ten year gap probably there that I feel like I'd like to know why the hell Ahsoka or what she's been doing in there that she didn't rush back to Lethal and try to help them. I'm ready for another Ahsoka book, so that'll be perfect. I was gonna say yeah. that I could see covered in a book. Because they covered the gap from well, they covered it a good portion of the gap between Clone Wars and Rebels with the okay. Ahsoka book. There there's some there's some coverage there. Um explaining what she was going through during that time. But I, I think that could be covered in a book, and I think that would make a great book to read. Yeah. Um, Did I send you a link, Brian, that was like, could she have been training Luke at that time? You did. Okay. Yes. I like that theory. That was a good theory. So that was, I'll, I'll try to summarize, and Paula, you can chime in if I'm missing something. The fact that she popped out when she did, that she would have, like, I think they're talking about between Empire and Jedi, like a year or two goes past, and yet yes. Luke's Jedi skills grow exponentially. And yet, yeah. we know he hasn't been with Yoda, so I think they're just inferring that he wouldn't have figured all that out on his own, and that somehow he crossed paths with Ahsoka, and Ahsoka taught him some things. Or Ezra. Yeah, I guess it could have been Ezra in that time, too. That would Any, be a great adventure. <laughs> of course, who... Would it, who would have trained Ezra? <laughs> well, I'm just thinking, I, I feel like Ezra would still be younger than Luke. 
Um, that's really tough to say because we don't know definitively how long before the events of Rogue One even that this happens. We yeah, don't. We don't have a like. Okay, so this happened, and then the next day the Empire started to fall because. Well, that's the other thing too. That's kind of tricky. Scarif. Is that at the end of the right after they kick the Empire off Lothal, Hera makes it seem like okay, we're gonna sit here and wait because the counterattack's coming, and then her ship shows up in Rogue One. So, so she maybe it's definitely left Lothal. Some time. There, there could be some time there that we don't know about. Because I'm telling you, like Sabine looks way older. At oh the yeah, end there. Yeah, yeah. It's the that's haircut. not five years of it. Well, <laughs> it is the haircut, but it, they also gave her some lines on her face. If you look, like they aged her face a good bit. And war can age you absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, from A New Hope to the end of Jedi, war can age you, but. I don't think it's, like you were saying, like five years. I I don't think it's five years from the end of Rebels to the end of the Battle of Endor. I'm just saying in the timeline of, like, of Star Wars, from A New Hope to the Battle of Endor is five years. I'm almost right. positive of that. So if it if that epilogue was immediately after the Battle of Endor, it was five years. Maybe six, because right, I, I would but put... But that's what I'm saying is... Six the at the most. takes place there... How right? How much before that does Lothal gain freedom? Yeah, I'd say six at the most. I think it has to be right around the time of Rogue One. Not obviously a little bit before, and it can't take place concurrently because the ghost is in Rogue One. Mm-hmm. Um, but you hear of the loudspeaker, General Sindula. She has the rank of general by the time the show ends, so that's right. Yeah, that's... that falls right in line. Sure. Um, so, yeah, and it's, it's interesting, too, because, like, it seems like Rogue One was supposed to set up, like, the Rebels' first major victory, and yet you could attribute the victory at Lothal to that, even though... I was gonna say, Lothal sparks the rebellion. Yeah. It, 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 it's not Jin. it's Lothal. Jin makes it the Death Star destroy, destroying the Death Star possible, which gives the Rebels the ability to win the war. Because if they can't destroy the Death Star, they can't win the war. Yeah. But Lothal sparks the rebellion. It sh- Like they say, it shows the Rebels that they can be beat. This is the first time the the Empire is actually defeated. So it, it, it's giving them that hope that we talk about so much in Rogue One. Yeah. And okay. so it probably fuels a big fire into the Rebellion. How long does that fire take to grow into Rogue One? Is it a year? Is it six months? Well, we also have you know, um, Jason Sindula, who looks about like four years true. old. So, And when Sabine's talking about him, she says, we all know how what his father was like. So I'm guessing, I mean, he has Kanan's eyes, the same color. So... I mean... Oh, yeah, he's Kanan's. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think... They, they don't leave that... I mean, So I mean, when that did that happen? Very much <laughs> obvious. Well, just sidetrack real quick. I don't know if about any of you, but the way that voiceover was... Like, the way Sabine told that story, that epilogue, she talked about Rex and Hera fighting in the Battle of Endor. The next thing she says is, oh, yeah, Hera had a kid. The, the way that line of, like, her dialogue went, I was like, Rex and Hera hooked up? Oh. It's like... Well, <laughs> That was the way I interpreted it until no. it got to the point where we're like, oh, you know, you you know who his father is. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, okay, that makes a lot more sense. And suddenly I was a lot less weirded out. 
Yeah, for building up to like the the single kiss we see them have on screen for how long to knowing that they were just you know banging behind the scenes the whole time and they did it enough to have a kid right near the end there. So it, to me, that's kind of like midichlorians. <laughs> I you know what I don't know. That, Stranger things have happened. I, I like the idea of it. But at the same time, I'm kind of like... It's lonely out in space. Hey, we well, don't know what Force thing, Ghosts can do nowadays. Right? And the other thing we <laughs> don't know is the, the assumption that Sabine is giving that speech right after the Battle of Endor. We don't know that that's right after Endor. That could be 20 years down the line. She looks to have aged no less than 10 years. And I'm saying she could just be sitting there looking out on Lothal ages after that happened yeah i don't know i don't i don't think it's that significant of a time jump but i'm just basing it on the aging like the, they age sabine way too much for it not to be significant yeah see we gotta start looking for the official in canon star wars timeline now and see when they when they put all this stuff yeah that, that'll answer it when we get an actual answer from them on it but yeah for me they used it, to put that stuff and i'll have to look i can't remember which what the most recent novel i bought was but they used to put those timelines in the front of the books there was one there's one in front of uh, bloodlines okay but i honestly haven't cracked the uh last jedi yet so when you crack Thrawn, okay. you'll get it yeah thrones in what a month oh then the next one yeah 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 because I don't, personally, I don't buy the hard copies. I buy Kindle books. So, I don't yeah, have I feel like they one put of it, these a hard copy. I could have sworn they still put it on the Kindle ones, too. Because I have a couple versions Kindle like that, too. Kindle skips a lot of stuff auto. Like, it auto-skips a lot of, like, blank pages and stuff like yeah, that. Okay, before okay. stuff. And it usually starts you right in the prologue. Right. So, I don't tend to look back for it. But I'll, I'll take a look at the, I don't know what the most recent one I have is. Yeah, that'll be something we have I'll to see. check out so we can settle this argument. As to who, who's right and who's wrong. I think we could have our own podcast just on, like, the timeline of everything Star Wars. Yeah. Where does it fit yes. in? Mm-hmm. Um, Paula brought up uh, Jason Sandula, which I thought was a really, really fun Easter egg to... Um, and I'm really hoping it's spelled the same way, but... With uh, the there was, Yeah. There, there was mm-hmm. a character in the uh, old Expanded Universe called Jason Solo, who was one, in, one of... Han and Leia's kids, uh, spelled it J-A-C-E-N, so I'm hoping it's not the traditional Jason and they spell it like Jason Solo. I think that'd be a really fun Easter egg. Hopefully, Jason Sandilla does not have the fate of Jason Solo, because he went through some shit, <laughs> uh, but still, it's 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 nice that they are trying to recognize the old expanded universe mm-hmm. for, for someone like me that read a lot of that shit that it no longer counts anymore. It's It's nice to see them pay homage to stuff like that. I still go back and read that stuff. I'm rereading Some Plagueis of those stories now. are so fucking good. Anything Timothy Zahn has written in the, yes. the old canon is fucking fantastic. Yeah, which, the, the, the old Thrawn trilogy is amazing. Which, Mike, did you catch this? Uh, Thrawn name drops, name drops Pelion in the finale. No, I didn't catch it. Right before the space whales show Wait. up. Yes. He turns to someone on the Star Destroyer and says, contact Captain Pelion. 
Yes, yes, yes. Okay. So for all intents and purposes, Pelion could be dead. He could have been in the blockade around Lothal. Or he could have been off-world somewhere and Thrawn was maybe just trying to get a distress call out or something. I'm hoping it's the latter. Because hmm. having Pelion be, in, be a character that actually shows up somewhere later down the line will be really, really fun. Yeah, I don't know if that's an Easter egg or, or not. That's hard to say. Because he will just drop stuff in there like that that's an Easter egg and not come back to it. Right, yeah. Like, just the same way that his name Jason would be an Easter egg that wouldn't get any other explanation. It would just be, oh, he's Jason, with a C. But, Wink. yeah, either way, it's still fun <laughs> to acknowledge that Thrawn has someone working for him that under Captain Pelion, which is great. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, should we uh, be led to assume that Jason Sandilla is Force-sensitive? I don't think we get an answer on that. I mean, they, yeah, they don't tell us. I'm just thinking, what are your theories? Do you think we should expect him to be another Jedi or Force-sensitive? He's probably going to be a great be... pilot if he's they flying with his that. mom. <laughs> yeah. But he's a, is he a great pilot because of the Force? It could be. Or is it just Hera's genes? I, I, as far as we know, in canon, if a Jedi has a kid... Or a Sith has a kid, they come out Force-sensitive. Um, even if one of the parents isn't. Right. As in Han Solo, not, but Ben Solo is. Um, Leia, who, you know, we all knew was kind of a Force empath before, now we see in Last Jedi is now canon that she can marry Poppins through space. <laughs> um... So, I don't think we have anything in canon that tells us that Jedi or Sith are not, or are capable of having children that aren't Force-sensitive. So you're thinking, I don't, as long as one parent is Force-sensitive, the kid is Force-sensitive? Yeah, whether or not they are Jedi or Sith material can be interpreted, however, but they will be Force-sensitive. The Force can choose a random, but if you pass along those midichlorians... You pass along those midichlorians. True. Fair enough. Um, I, I'm just, I don't theory. think we have anything that says that it doesn't happen. Well, that was and, why the Jedi in the prequels were exterminated so well. They were forbidden to have relationships and get married and have kids. So when all those people get wiped out at the temple, that's it. The line of Jedi is done. Right. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking is um, there's... As Jedi, you're not allowed to have those type of relationships. So there's probably not a lot to go on. And um, yeah. I don't know. I don't have much of old canon um, knowledge that I could kind of relate to. So I, I don't – I only know what's, like, in the movies and what's going forward. Yeah, that was something – and one of the reasons I really want to know what happened at Luke's Jedi Temple because I'm just curious what kind of lessons he was he was teaching people in this era – that is yet to really be explored because in the the old novels that was a like a point of contention for him. He was unsure how to teach kids and what type of rules to impose when he started up another Jedi temple. Should he abide by the rules of the old Jedi because they got exterminated? Was there a reason that they forbid attachments and relationships? And in the end, Luke didn't agree to that. He allowed people to have relationships. He himself had a wife in the books in the the old books. So. so Answer, I don't know if you remember or not, because I currently cannot 
remember for myself. Did Revan and Bastila's kid have power? Was he Force-sensitive? Well, that's a good question. I don't remember. Neither do I. I remember them having a kid, but I can't remember if they ever said whether or not he went ended up at the Jedi Temple or what happened to the kid. Because they don't even pick up with that kid in KOTOR 2. No. Like, I don't think we ever get an answer one way or the other, because the kid is still like... Well, no. I don't know how young he is by the end of Revan's book. See, I didn't read those, so I couldn't tell you. Oh, it would... In, in Revan's book, the kid goes from being... prenatal, I guess you could say, and all the way to being like 10, something like that. Like, okay. Revan gets imprisoned for a long time, and Bastila's is on her own with the kid. So you, you get a lot of Revan's end of the story, but Bastila's kind of just at home taking care of the kid, and you don't you just get a sense of time passing based on what's going on with Revan, but not much of what's going on with her. Okay. So... I mean, I, I think more often than not, you could probably say that at least one parent is Force-sensitive, the kid's Force-sensitive. I think that's a solid sort of rule of thumb to go with. Oh, I think it'd be more surprising say, like, if they're not Force-sensitive. Right, and and that's what I was going to get at, is if if Revan and Bastila had a child that wasn't Force-sensitive, we could at least say it was possible in the old canon. Yeah. But I, I would have to look that up. Because, I mean, if somebody is strong with the Force is Revan could produce a non-force-sensitive child. Anybody could. Yeah. At least like Leia, like some sensitivity. If not, right. yeah. Yeah, there's. There, I feel like Leia's like latently force-sensitive, but like I said, I also feel like she's a force empath because she can just kind of sense things. And... and we really don't know how far she could have went either because she um, decided to do something different instead of following Luke. Yeah. To become mm -hmm. a Jedi. So she went into politics. I mean, it's a, well, it's she a good was calling. By Bail Organa. <laughs> <laughs> True. So he was raised on the desert and she was raised to be a princess. Me too. There you <laughs> go. <laughs> um so I think we already sort of talked about this, but let's maybe sort of theorize about this one, but Ezra and Thrawn, we're all assuming that they live through that? Yeah. I, yeah, I mean... Um, go ahead. Yeah, Sorry. I... No, I feel that... Um, that I guess what hap whatever happens around the ship when they go into hyperspace mm -hmm. would probably protect them. Um, but I And that was sort of a, a hang-up for me, is that the, the view screen and the... the the windows or whatever for the, for that bridge of the star destroyer are definitely busted open. So they're exposed to the vacuum of space when they go through that. And that was, there's gotta be a but way to explain it, why they don't die. Is it die. different at that speed? We don't know. There is no answer to that because we can't travel at that speed. Right. right. But it's not like they're going to light speed right into the planet. Like they would slow down before they get into the atmosphere of a planet. And at that point they would die. But you know, are there, those, Leia doesn't. Those giant creatures, do they, like, follow the rules of the hyperspace lane, too? Like, yeah. that was something I didn't realize, like, there's a hyperspace lane. Like, <laughs> carpool. And that that sort was of... established... I don't know if that's in New Canon or not. 
But uh, the first time I remember reading about the hyperspace lanes was in the Darth Bane trilogy. Because he used them to find some old ancient, like, kind of like Luke finding the first Jedi temple. He goes to find the first Sith temple. And he has to use these never-used hyperspace lanes to get there. But how those things go through hyperspace, I have no idea. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what's different about their hyperspace travel and a ship's hyperspace travel. Space whale sonar. <laughs> Dude, who knows? We don't... <laughs> undiscovered animals skills. Yeah. But, I mean, Ezra can also communicate with these animals too so you know what is he telling them yeah they could be protecting them both Mm -hmm. somehow through the through the travels of hyperspace which i'd buy i'd be okay with that i'd buy anything that some of the smaller ones come and plug up the holes in the windows well i mean even mike to your point you had said like leia survived the vacuum of space so that the Mm -hmm. last jedi established there was a way to come back from near death in space so you could argue that's something that kept them alive, too. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all know what really happens if a human being ends up in space. Right. We know what happens in real life, but this isn't real life. Sci-fi <laughs> so, fantasy. I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll just simply say we have never seen somebody jettisoned into space in Star Wars and just die. Because they're in space. That's never happened. True. Um, I'm trying to think, so, but I don't think so. I don't think I can pick anything off the top of my head. So perhaps in their galaxy, in their universe, far, far away. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't. Uh, function Space rules don't apply, right? It well, yeah, they, they're in their own world, so they can make up their own physics. Because really, if the, if it's if it's the space is scientifically accurate, there'd be no explosions or sound in space. Right, and we still hear pew pew all yeah. the time. One of my favorite sounds. <laughs> <laughs> I will also say you also don't ever, in in my recollection, see people float in space in Star Wars. And they like I specifically think to General Grievous. General Grievous goes out into space and he's just kind of falling away. And he grapple hooks himself back onto the ship. I mean, he, he was sucked out of the out of the bridge of the destroyer. Sucked out, yes, but he's not floating. Is what I'm saying. Like he's he, like, there's no gravity, and he's not just floating away. But at that point, I I don't want to get no, into like saying, a he's deeper able... scientific discussion. But wouldn't the momentum from being sucked out propel you through space? Right, but he pulls himself back against it, and he's able just to kind of hang out. Like, he walks along the damn ship. Yeah, I took Does the that ship as... have its own gravity field? Oh, I took that as magnetized feet. That okay. was always my explanation Fair. for that, that spot. Yeah, alright. I can't think of a whole lot of instances where people were in space, and that was one of them that came to mind. That just off the top of my head where something was in space, and I'm thinking... Like, even... Okay, so the, you're gonna just... Magnetized feet is just gonna... Every time I come up with a droid that's in space, because the little buzz droids don't float off of their ships either. Yeah, I, I, I mean, if we're gonna talk about like Star Wars tech, like I have to assume people are smart enough to realize that stuff would just float away. So if you have a machine or some side of metal 
on the side of a metal th ship that it's just somehow magnetized. I also feel like they just fall away when they get killed. The buzz droids. That's true, too. They don't I float don't away. We're definitely getting off topic here. <laughs> yes, we are. Sorry. This, this is a discussion for Star another Wars. Star Wars podcast. Every Star Wars. The time physics of Star time. Wars. <laughs> there is no physics. <laughs> and podcast. Yeah, that's the easiest way to describe physics it. Physics do not apply. <laughs> yes. Um, we did talk about this a little bit. Um, out of the, the pairings we get after the epilogue for the finale of Rebels. Ahsoka and Sabine, Hera and Jason, Zeb and Callus. Adorable. Which one, which one of these stories would you like to see continue? <laughs> Zeb and Callus. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there's a buddy comedy there. Um, he took him home to meet the parents. I mean, the family <laughs> made him feel good. He put, like, his hand in front of his eyes, and he's like, surprise, look, you didn't kill off everybody. So... I was like, that's adorable. I want to be friends with them. But, um, you know, when Callus turned into sexy Callus with the hair, <laughs> you knew he was going to be redeemable because, you know, the hair. Sorry, but I, yes. falling in front of his head. That, 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 was the, that was their cue that he had turned to the light. When he got <laughs> some wisps, some flyaways. That, you know, his turn still kind of surprised me just because, like, I there was I feel like there was no lead up to it when it happened. The only the only sort of hint they give of that is the episode when Callus and Zeb are stranded on that ice planet. Mm -hmm. Up until then, or even after that, I don't feel like there's any indication that Callus is going to turn. And then it's just like, oh, we have a man on the inside. Oh, by the way, it's Callus. That's the power mm -hmm. of Zeb. I mean, <laughs> he's got this magnetism. That's you know, whatever you want. Not Zeb. to mention. <laughs> they, they turned a guy named Callus. Like, like they gave this guy like one of the best villain names you could give somebody. They were gonna call him Callus. He's gonna be the one that turns. Okay. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll take it. Um, <sighs> I mean, it worked just from like a surprise factor. Like, oh shit, it's that guy, and then it's like, oh yeah, it's that guy, and then you get real excited about the possibilities of where they could go from there. Mm-hmm. Well, I think he was also a, I mean, a plot device because they needed a character that could get them through a whole bunch of different empire encoded this, that, and the other throughout right. the whole series. He's super useful. <laughs> yes, he is a tool, and <laughs> he has you know many gadgets that can pop out and help you out. So I like that, and I feel like a lot of Star Wars like is I feel like. <sighs> I don't know. I feel like him and Finn kind of had that same thing going on with Force Awakens where Finn, you know, kind of can help out with figuring out what they need to do, where this is, where that is. And that's why they need yeah, right. Finn to be a stormtrooper in the beginning of it. Oh, it does have that Finn and Poe kind of relationship. Mm -hmm. I can see that. Yeah, yeah. It all, it all comes back to Finn and Poe. <laughs> the bromance lives. Gotta have a good bromance. Uh, I think, and you guys were really looking forward to, and I, I probably agree with you. The Ahsoka and Sabine, wherever they go with those two, I think that'd yes. be badass. Ahsoka's yeah, that, getting, I mean, doing her best Gandalf the Gray, yeah, impression. And surprisingly, as much as Sabine has aged, Ahsoka still has not. <laughs> um, which you know she's not human, so we don't. I don't know if we have anything in canon that tells us how long her species lives. 
So not that I know of. She could be like Yoda and somebody that's capable of living nine hundred years for all we know. I'm um, okay with that. <laughs> dude, I'll be fine with it. If we have Ahsoka stories until I die, I'll be happy. That'll be fine. They can end it after that. I'm screwed. I mean, there's, else, it's but. no secret that Filoni's going to do probably another animated series after this. We just don't know what it is or who will be involved mm-hmm. or anything like that. But do you think we'll ever get to see any of these characters as live action? I definitely think so. I think that, I, that they want to make connections like that across medias. So you think we'll get someone... Is it going to be weird, though? Like, you've you followed Ahsoka through Clone Wars and Rebels, and to suddenly see someone else play her on screen that doesn't look or sound like her. I feel like CGI is good enough now. They could let... What's her name? Like, Ashley... Eckstein. Eckstein. Um... I feel like they could have her do the voice for a CGI character. Think Mark Ruffalo is the Hulk. Uh, okay, um, I would embrace it. I could, I could see it. I don't, it's I don't it's know a lot of I'd, money for them to dump into it. Though, yeah, I don't know what her. I'd prefer. If I'd prefer some sort of practical makeup to get Ahsoka to work, or to just do her CG. I mean, the practical makeup is the Star Wars thing. You know, that's kind of their thing from back in the day but but Maz think of Maz you know that's true yeah yeah I I think it's absolutely reasonable to see them do it I think that'd probably be the the better way to go for me now to think about it because I think I'd rather have them spend a lot of money and do a CG character and have Ashley still voice Ahsoka as opposed to doing practical effects to put another actress in the in a Ahsoka suit but yeah. not have Ashley voice the character. Yeah, it would either that or it's going to be like really weird ADR. Yeah, I was going to say it, it would just be so so wrong to not have Ashley voice that character. But to um, see her with like her dual, you know, silvery gray lightsabers would just oh it, yes. yeah. To to me, they could send. Every Star Wars fanboy over the edge if their first episode 9 image was just those lightsabers crossed below the waist of somebody. They don't even have to show you the face or anything. (laughs) Just those silvery lightsabers crossed Mm -hmm. beneath somebody. Yeah, that's going to be a seller. I mean, if we get her in a movie, it's definitely not going to be episode 9. It'll be one of these spinoffs that they keep announcing. Yeah, and I'm fine with that. Yeah. (laughs) Um... Her and Sabine chasing down Ezra in a movie? Give me that. I will watch that movie. I was thinking the same thing. Like I would I would definitely watch them like search for him and find little force sensitive broom boys like all over the galaxy. <laughs> like that if it's in every you know, each episode. Well, I mean, that's kinda what happens in the Ahsoka novel, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So I would so, I'd be actually be okay with that. You're not the broom boy we're looking for. Next. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and when the one comes up where it's like, oh, there was no father, just keep on walking. <laughs> <laughs> We've seen this before. Yeah, we're, we're good. We know we're how good. the story ends. <laughs> it's not good. Uh-huh. Medichlorians, peace. <laughs> yeah, I think you and I talked about seeing Ahsoka and Thrawn are the two characters from this series that I would most want to see put on to the big screen for a movie. Yeah. And to me, Thrawn, just that first novel, make that into a book or make that 
into a movie. And yeah, I feel like works. Thrawn would be easier to incorporate in a movie or some sort of some form of live action. Yeah. Uh, I think Ahsoka would be much more difficult. And I don't know. The more I'm thinking about it, I think the difficulty of doing it and doing it right, I feel like might be too much of a risk for them, where I think it's just easier for them at this point to just keep her in animation. Yeah. I, I think they don't want to spoil it for anybody by putting yeah. her in a movie and screwing it up. As much as I'd love to see that, I just I I don't want to like get my expectations up like, oh, this could happen, because I really don't think they'd do it. No. I agree. I don't think we're going to see it, but I really would love to. And I think she's screen-worthy. Her story is screen-worthy, uh, yeah. everything about yeah. it. But I think that's a very good reason as to why they wouldn't. I'm sure if we're having these conversations, they've probably already had these conversations. <laughs> <laughs> well, and... I, I also I didn't even occur to me until just now that we got our reason why Thrawn's nowhere to be seen in Rogue One. Yeah. And it, you know, because I was expecting, like, I'm thinking, like, oh, Rebels here, this would be a great time in Rogue One for us to finally see Thrawn. You know, like... See, I'm always waiting there, for them to... Squeeze them in somehow, but... Because even the Thrawn novel, and I don't remember if they really reference it too much in Rebels, but... Even even in the old canon too, Thrawn was always being pulled to whatever is he's fighting back in the unknown regions. Mm-hmm. So I always thought that would have been a good reason for him not being around in the main events of the original trilogy is that he got pulled away to defend his race against well, whatever the hell they're fighting out there. And that was a suggestion that I had seen about what could happen going forward with the animated series is that Thrawn becomes a sympathetic character to Ezra because of what he's fighting against. And they actually go yeah. out and start fighting that war, whatever the hell it actually might be. Um, we get to finally find out and see it happen. Because they're laying seeds for that. So they, ha I feel like they have to have an idea of what that is. And it's just a matter of time before we learn what it is or see it. He didn't yeah, do like a... it's, it's got to happen. He didn't do a very good job on Lothal, though. So... <laughs> Like, Granted, he, he had the plan. It was everyone else around him that could not execute his plan, and that's where he had trouble. Yeah, it's always the boss who has to take the fall for all that. Right. I mean, you're in charge of everybody, and, you know, you destroyed the fuel cells and your Governor Price. I mean, she's obviously responsible for that, but he's responsible for her. And so <laughs> all the money that was supposed to go to that project now goes to the Death Star. Right, and that's and, why we don't see Tide Defenders everywhere. Exactly. In, Thrawn, <laughs> in, in Thrawn's book, you can see all the faults and the reasoning behind why he tied his career within the Empire to Price. Like, the, the, the uh, two yeah, of yeah. them, their rise is so connected that he was tied to her in a lot of ways. And he helped her in a lot of ways, and she helped him. And she was always very ruthless, but she was always slightly inept. Um, and I feel like they furthered that here where Thrawn was being held back by her and her aspirations because of his ties directly to her. I think I, I even specifically remember there was an episode, it might have even been sometime in season three or the, or the beginning of season four, I don't remember, but I feel like they had a blockade or something around Lethal. Thrawn specifically instructed everyone not to move, and then you get some ballsy Star Destroyer captain who's like, no, we have to go, and he does. He moves out of position, which causes a hole in the blockade. The rebels get through. He causes mass destruction. Mm -hmm. Thrawn's plan was sound. That guy didn't fucking listen, so screwed everything up. 
And that goes further to the racism within the Empire fourth run. They yeah. don't listen to him yeah. because he's not a human. And he doesn't get the same respect that the other humans do. So it's not, I don't know, is that racism or speciesism? I don't know how, I know how <laughs> it would call it speciesism, but whatever you want to call it, they're bigotry towards yeah. him not being a human being. Um, and he didn't have the respect. So. I kind of make sense now that you explained it, why um, Price didn't turn at the very end. Cause I'm like, she's just not that strong of a leader. And I'm surprised she didn't try to save her own skin, but now it makes perfect sense as to like her fighting for the empire to the end. It, had she gone back to face Thrawn, he would have killed her. Exactly. That and that's why I thought maybe she would have left and gone with the rebels to like live and be alive. <laughs> um, but she didn't like she she knew she was going to die either way. Like she was if she goes to Thrawn, he's going to, you know, she's going to be executed. If she stays, you know, there. it was life in prison among the rebels or it right. was death. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, all right. So I think we've covered the anything else you want to talk about the finale. Otherwise, we'll just start talking um, sort of wrap it up with the series. The one. Scene I wanted to mention. It's not so much um, what the scene means or anything as far as the whole story goes, because it's not really a story scene, but the beginning of the finale, where they're having that battle on the platform, all that going on. That was a fantastic scene. However, when they draw them into the cave... And they all come rushing into the cave, and Ezra's standing there, lights his lightsaber, the loath wolves are behind him. That scene, just freeze frame that, put it on a poster, <laughs> and I will buy it. Like, that, to me, was just everything that you want Star Wars to be was right in that scene. Agreed. It was badass. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the Jedi tricks them, pulls them into the dark, says, Let's do it. Now my dogs are going to bite your face off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, there was a couple times I thought they were going to go anti-Disney there with the dogs. Right? They, like, at one point, the dogs, two of them pick up one stormtrooper and start pulling him in opposite direction. And I'm like, no way. This is <laughs> yeah. Disney. That can't no, happen. No, it's but... Disney XD. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's extreme Disney. <laughs> it's nine Which o'clock at go... night. <laughs> gonna go see. I was ju it just surprised me. I'm like, wow. Really? And then they put him down. Like It was like they do that and then gently set the stormtrooper down. And I'm like, You're just going to shake him unconscious. Okay. He's alive, kids. He's alive. Just throw him okay. over, the, over the edge. He'll yeah, live. He'll live. He's totally fine. Well, I mean, the grisly deaths that so many of those stormtroopers suffered at the hands of those dogs. I think a lot of that went unnoticed. Because if, you know, if it wasn't Disney and blood was allowed on screen, that would have been a bloodbath with those dogs attacking mm -hmm. everybody. Oh, yeah. For sure. Yeah, so, limbs limbs would have been coming off. Yeah. Oh, dogs that big? Yeah. It, it would have been horrifying sight. <laughs> so I think, you know, the Disney-fied version of it with the stormtroopers clacking off the ground into the distance. It was it was fun. It was <laughs> fun. At the same time, it's like, okay, this is a really cool scene. Um, I think every episode since the break has been like fun and poignant and thought provoking and just 
I didn't feel let down by any of the episodes. Yeah, they did a really good job. Even, like, as much as I, I, you know, and going back to the finale, I think I was, I was a little bit, I was expecting to cry a couple times, like, like, during the finale. I surprised myself that I didn't, but I did cry right when it came back when Kanan died. Like, that hit me on an emotional level a lot harder, I think, than anything that happened in the finale. I thought See, that I was handled really, really well. It was beautiful. It, it didn't... Kanan's death did not impact me that way. But the end... You heartless bastard. No, no, no. The, the end of the finale did. Where they're explaining like what happened with everybody. You know, Callus seeing what happened. Jason being there. Rex having gotten into the Battle of Endor. And then Ahsoka showing up at the end. That's what actually hit me more so because that painting that obviously Sabine had put on the wall Amazing with the whole group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's what actually got me. I think so, when Ezra launched himself into space, like he knew what was happening. I I just couldn't breathe. There it was just mm -hmm. like this is amazing this story. It's just like you were saying earlier, what Star Wars really is, this story is just amazing. Yeah, even, there was even, uh, like after Kanan died, having Hera sort of deal with that. And I think when they were at the at the temple, and she has this moment of indecision, like not sure what to do. And then the ghost of Kanan, you see him on her shoulder. Oh, yeah. Like that hit me with the feels too. Yeah, that was beautiful. Because, you know, she had such confidence and now it's real that someone that she loved in her group has died and it could happen to any of them now. And I really was thinking that whenever they were in that last battle scene that somebody else was going to die when they were yeah. I, yeah. I honestly thought that was going to be Zeb I thought when he threw yeah. himself into Rook that was going to be him going you know I mean him sacrificing himself so that they can get the shield up yeah do you guys know too that uh, Rook was voiced by Warwick Davis did not know that no can't tell you can't it's really him tell but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but and Malcolm and he was a character that lasted longer than I thought. Malcolm McDowell yeah. was the excavator. Oh yeah, the priest kind of guy. Yeah, right. Mm. Yeah, yeah. His voice stood out to me too. It took me to listen to him for a little bit before I was like, "Why do I know that guy?" And for some reason, the 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 first thing that came to mind was um, what was his name from Star Trek uh, Generations? Oh. What was his character's name? Sauron or some sort, Sir. Sir Something like that. I cannot remember the guy who had anyway, who wanted the wave going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the that's what I pictured. I was like, oh, it's that guy. Yeah. Um. All right. Uh. So we'll just sort of wind down. I think covering what we thought of the series as a whole. So, I think it's safe to say we all love this series. Um, yeah. So maybe we'll just go over to just talk about some of our favorite moments, stuff that stood out to us from past seasons on top of the season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Paula, I have a list. Your notes? Do, you, do you want me to go down the list? <laughs> go for yeah, it. Go go for yeah, it. let's start there. Um, my number 10 was Hera gets laid, but we already talked about that. <laughs> um, I think we can also mention as far as Hera getting laid. Um, as far as we know, that's the only human Twi'lek crossbreed in existence oh yeah 
And yeah, that's true. He looked a little too human for me to be full. You know, like it was. He had a little bit of green, green on the top of his and, ears. Yeah, I don't know. It, it it was he looked he he just looked too human. I wanted him to have the. Maybe he'll grow it? into it. Yeah, maybe his hair will change into them. Um, what are they called? Like Leku yeah. or something like that? Yeah, Leku. That's it. The um, Obi Wan Maul duel. Yes, was amazing. It was not what I expected it to be, but it was exactly what I needed. It was you know, simple and quick, and just beautiful the, at the end. The lead up to that, I was expecting like phantom menace style fight that was what i was wanting to see and then it happened in three moves in malls down and i was like what the fuck was that like that's not what i i was expecting this epic thing and it wasn't until i watched the rebels recon on that episode where they explained the decision to make the fight the way it was the way it was quick and that long long drawn out stare and how they're mentally sparring with each other even before they fight like the whole explanation for that and the fact that Maul tries to use the same move that killed Qui-Gon Jinn, and Obi-Wan sees it coming, and that's when he gets him. The, all, laying that out to me and explaining that makes that scene a lot, like, ten times better than what I originally thought it was. Yeah, so, yeah, that's it, definitely on my list, too. Him being just that prepared to yeah. counter that same move that quickly and effectively, that to me was like, okay... This that I, I'm okay with this being a short fight. Instantly, I'm good with it. Yeah. Um, I also have uh, the episode called Shroud of Darkness was when um they went into the Jedi Temple and that's when Kanan, who wasn't quite sure of himself, he actually becomes a Jedi Knight in that episode. Um, and I can't remember who he fights. It's like. Um, the Grand Inquisitor, but he's not... The Grand Inquisitor had died, but he came back in this episode mm. and was um, tri- training Kanan to become what he's he like needed to be. So Jedi he could train. guards or something like yes. that. Yes. Which one of those masks was on Thrawn's desk at the end of the, um, the oh, series. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I noticed that. But in that episode, um, like Ezra connects with Yoda and... I think Ahsoka connects with Anakin on some some level, but it was just, it, for me, like a really poignant episode for all of them. It wasn't that mask that was on Thrawn's desk, the one that Kanan first wore before they gave him the mask that he wore throughout the rest of everything. I think the first mask that Kanan wore was that same mask. Yeah, probably because he said he got those relics from Lothal. Yeah, I can't remember. Unless That's what did. I took it as, because the way that they had Ezra look at it, and, like, they gave you a good hard look at the way Ezra is staring at it. I kind of felt like it was the mask that Kanan first put on. I don't remember Kanan's first mask being that decorative. I feel like it was just a little bit more practical, just for just needing a mask. Like, I thought it was great, because the one on, on Thrawn's desk was white, wasn't it? It, right, red. but I'm thinking yeah. that it was white and gold. White and gold. Yeah, it, but I but I'm thinking like for like one episode, Kanan's first mask was one of those, and then he went to that one that had that simple design on it. 
See, now I have to go back and watch. I can't. I honestly can't remember. I feel like the first one he put on was just something that was laying on the ground at the. That's Sith what I'm temple. thinking of. Yeah. And I feel like that's what it was. Was. All right, so maybe I'm there. remembering it differently. I thought it, I thought it looked different. I'd have to go one. back and actually watch. It's been so long for me to actually recall what it looked like, but I think that's what they were referring to. If that's true, then it's kind of like Thrawn was trying to collect things from all of them. Like he had something from Sabine, he had something from Hera, um, the Calicori. So it, yeah, I'm yeah, probably him just trying to collect something from each of them. Well, the only thing is that Sabine, Sabine and Hera's things are art based, and he is a very artistic enthusiast. True. I don't know. If, I don't know if that mask would classify as being some sort of art. Could oh, be. maybe it is designed very well. I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to sidetrack real fast. Um, since Paula was mentioning uh, Yoda being in one of those episodes, I think we have to at least acknowledge some of the voice cast that they were able to get for this. Ian McDermott comes back. To reprise the Emperor in the finale. Billy D. Williams was in season one. Mm-hmm. Um, Frank Oz came back as Yoda a couple times. Uh, am I missing anybody else? Those are the three that stood out to me. The Grand Inquisitor was... Um, Jason Isaacs? Yes. Yes. Yeah, that was a, that was a fun I'm voice. I'm fairly sure Jason Isaacs also started Thrawn. And then Lars Mikkelsen took over. Yeah, okay. Um, I think that was one season where we had Jason Isaacs doing Thrawn, and then he, Lars Mikkelsen, took over after that. And I think Sarah Michelle Geller was one of the seven. Was the seventh sister? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, and of course we got Sam Witwer back for. He was the Emperor earlier on and came back for Maul. From from Clone Wars, reprising those two mm. characters, so that was fun. Oh, and Saw Gerrera. Uh, yes, Whitaker. yeah, mm-hmm. Forrest Whitaker. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, they actually got fucking Forrest Whitaker <laughs> to voice an animated Star Wars character. Like, come on. Those were great episodes, too. Oh, yeah. I ha- yeah, that had to have been part of his contract. Like, we're going to sign you for this sort of minor role in Rogue One, but you got to put some time in behind in the, uh, the sound booth to uh, voice this character again. Maybe he just loves Star Wars as much as we do. <laughs> I really wish that was the case, but I highly doubt it. <laughs> um, uh, all right, Paula, go ahead. I don't know what number you're on for your list, but... I have a couple of things that we already talked about, like um, Ezra and the wolves. Um, and, you know, all of his connections to animals. I had um, the Zeb and Callus episode, which we kind of touched on, where um, it was in... Se- I feel like all the good stuff happened in season two, because that was episode 17... <laughs> Um, where you really find the human side of um, Agent Callus. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, as tough as Zeb is, he really, he doesn't kill him. <laughs> yeah. So um, I have uh, also, of course, the Ahsoka duel with Vader, which was amazing. Um, yeah, that was such a standout just for... I I remember rewatching that just over and over, that fight, mm-hmm. and then the realization of like who's behind the mask and how it dawns on her. And I think they even got Matt Lanter back to voice Anakin just for a little bit for that episode, which was yeah, cool just, just to hear Anakin's voice things. for a split second. Mm-hmm. That was honestly the first time the show managed to choke me up was when she 
finally realizes that her fears are true. It is Anakin behind the mask. Yeah. Um, and to me, that is, it's one of my favorite moments in anything Star Wars. Agreed. Yes. Anything. Yeah. It's incredible. Come to think of it, too, that's another voice we missed, is James Earl Jones was back as fucking Darth Vader, too. (laughs) So true. Mm -hmm. Which, having him just show up randomly during the course of season two was so great. To, To have season one end with the threat of something bigger is coming, and then you open season two with Vader hunting them down, like... Come on, that's that's a movie I want to see, is Vader hunting down Jedi and just fucking wrecking people. I've said that numerous times, but I, I, I really Isn't hope Force that's a Unleashed spin-off. Force Unleashed still canon? I'd watch it. I don't know if Force Unleashed is or not. I don't think it is. I feel like it was still canon. I feel like they didn't get rid of that canon. The I video like games they... are hit or miss. You don't know. It's hard to tell which ones are in and which ones aren't. I know. But, it, I mean, if that's canon... I hope they retcon it, remove it from canon, and make the movie you're talking about. Yeah, because I, I really think there's a way to do it where you basically have Vader like the Terminator. I think I think you you film it from the, from the perspective of like six or seven Jedi on the run, knowing they're being hunted, and just every couple time, every half hour, you know, end of an act or of the movie or something, just have Vader show up, take out one or two of them, which ends to like a climactic battle between Vader and whoever's left and he just wrecks them all. End of the end of the end of the movie. And then Kylo Ren can finish what he started. Oh uh, see? Yeah, and then keep hunting it, down the Jedi. And just It all comes back around. Yep. You've just been felonied. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's the purpose of the Knights of Ren. Ooh. That's another un- unanswered question we need answered at some point. Yeah, that that's one I I'll give it to the people that are angry about not getting things answered that better be answered in the next one the knights of ren need to show up or be defined in some way you'll get that in the book Hmm. (laughs) um one of the last things i have is just the tie-ins like all the beautiful tie-ins they had to like rogue one and like thrawn and krennic every time they would throw out um you know krennic's name the engineers that they had stole in one episode and um the rebels go to free them and they're like we're here because krennic needed engineers and we all know why oh that yeah. was the episode with saw Gerrera. um yeah 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 mm-hmm. and then uh, like the giant kyber crystal that they're transporting we all know what that was for um mm-hmm. every time they name drop stardust yes i just every mm-hmm. time you got those connections i was like yes i know what yeah. they're talking about <laughs> <laughs> um but that was pretty much my list I'm, you know, trying to remember four years is hard, but those are the ones that really stood out to me. But it yeah. makes me just want to watch the whole four years again. Yeah, yeah. It was such a great series. Uh, Mike, you got anything that stands out for you? Um, th- That we haven't touched on already? The yeah, only I think thing Paula I... hit the good ones that I was going to mention. That's right. So. Yeah, I'm a super I... friend now. <laughs> <laughs> gotta make it count. I was not as prepared, um, but I, I still would say um, it, it's something we didn't mention that I think is one of the more memorable things for me from the finale is just how slimy and 
full of tricks the Emperor is to make himself show up uh, looking like a normal guy for Ezra to see waiting yeah. at the opening uh, yeah. of the temple. And then just how kind of creepy it is when it starts to shake back into the actual Emperor and what he's really like. It was kind of a really well-done, creepy moment when it just kind of flashes for a second to the Emperor, and then it's back and it's gone again, and then it flashes and it's gone again. And I feel like that's something I'm going to remember, even if it's not... I mean, that's one of the better scenes in that episode, but that episode's just full of really good scenes, so it's hard to pin it down. But I feel like that flashing in and out is going to stand with me for quite some time. It's the big scenes that you appreciate, but it's the little nuances that really make this series what it is. Just like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Go ahead. No, I was just going to say anything else from you. Like I said, not that we haven't already talked about. Okay. Um, I was trying to think of ones that Paula hadn't mentioned, so I, I might have a couple. For me, I always enjoy like the the Jedi sort of mythology to it. So like seeing Ezra going to the temple to get a kyber crystal and to make his lightsaber stuff like that, I enjoy seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, even even I, it was always still weirded out by his design of a lightsaber. I like what it did. I just it I could never get over that it looks like a staple gun. <laughs> oh, you mean the blaster saber? <laughs> yeah. You know what? That's a that's still a standout from the series though. That's yeah. still a unique lightsaber that honestly is so practical and simple of an idea that you're like, why the hell didn't anybody else do that? Yeah. You know? And then seeing Kanan wield his and Ezra's lightsabers in the finale of season one and utilize them both very well like that was great. Mm-hmm. That fight stands out to me. Um, having Maul come back and sort of get an end to his arc in this show, I thought was really well done. And his, you know, trying to trying to corrupt and recruit Ezra all his little machinations and trying to to woo Ezra I thought was really well done he's such a likable villain and one yes, I yeah. thought of that I forgot is just the first time Kanan reveals that he is a Jedi on the show yes because up to that point as far as we know he's just a guy you get your suspicions but he reveals it to the Empire that yeah I'm a Jedi and that's a moment to me that paid off a lot, a lot more having read the book before that. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, when they're, when you read A New Dawn, he is definitely in hiding. He is not trying to let anybody know that he's a Jedi. He's keeping it very well secret. And there's moments in there when he could reveal himself, and there's reasons why he doesn't. So when he finally does in, the, in that moment in Rebels, it's a, it's a big moment. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and the last one that I thought of that I, I was another moment that actually really got me kind of emotional when I watched it was Sabine's, uh, training with the dark saber. Oh that yeah. Whole mm. Episode where her and Kanan, Kanan was teaching her how to wield that and how to fight with that and stuff. And that, the climax of that episode I thought was beautifully done. Yeah. Her arc in general was fantastic. Yeah. Well, the, the whole Mandalorian arc, they kind of disappointingly left her story behind and I mean it, it, don't get me wrong the Kanan and Ezra the whole thing they did with this season is fantastic and it required her story to be left behind to tell it somewhat um, 
but I feel like her story arc with Mandalore was great. Yeah. Um, and for all those out there that, you know, you have your Raylo theory, and I, for me it's Ezra and Sabine <laughs> that I would rather see. No, they're like brother and sister. That's just weird. I feel like oh, Filoni has I, gone on record saying that there's, I, like, he's aware of people shipping them, but he was trying to illustrate a relationship that does not have to be, uh, like, sexual. Like, just friends. I get like, that, like, best he, friends. Boys and girls can be he, friends. Yes. Unless yeah, you're true, Kylo and Rey. he very openly has <laughs> Ezra have a crush on her when they first meet. That's true. Yeah. And it definitely gets more reciprocated later in... I want to say season three, early season three, there's some return of that from her to him that maybe he doesn't show the interest in at that point. I feel like there was definitely back and forth there that could have turned out to be something. I feel like there's even moments of the finale where I felt like it might go that extra step or we might get a like goodbye kiss or, you know, something like that. But they never and crossed that line, so I don't know. And she's the one that so goes to know. look for him. Like, I don't know. Like, to me, it, it felt like it was there, and it was just out of reach the whole time. I think their yeah. relationship was probably the most important at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess we could see if, you know, if that story continues with Ahsoka and um, Sabine, if they ever finally find Ezra, what kind of reunion we'll get between Sabine and Ezra. That could be the moment if they want to go that route when the two of them are finally reunited. And there's your twist. He actually ends up with Ahsoka. (laughs) She's a little old for him. (laughs) Uh, You know, I I think with a species that lives so much longer, by the time that they actually reunite, he might be old enough. We don't know. Is that where we should end? If if Ezra's old enough to get down with Ahsoka? (laughs) I I would like to end with Ahsoka lives, so... Ahsoka lives. (laughs) Ahsoka lives, and in Shakespeare's term, maybe she dies. <sighs> Please don't break my heart. Uh, I, th- I think we've covered pretty much everything that I needed to cover. Anything else you guys want to touch on? Otherwise, we'll close it down. I, I will look forward to the next season, series, whatever Filoni wants to put on my TV, in my brain. Yeah, I'm, willing, I'm, I'm anxious to see if it's going to be on TV or if it's going to go straight to this Disney app. Whenever they get their oh, streaming right. service ready. Right. Yeah. Take my money. Because it'll be, that should be starting sometime next year. Yep. So it could just well, go straight I guess, there. I guess that'll be how they get me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if there's something that's going to get me, it's not the movies that I already own that they want me to go and watch on their app. It's part of the show. ship, part of the crew. Just Even saying. if it's offered like on on TV, but you can also get it through the paid subscription app, like I would do the app. I would, I would definitely do it would, that. It would depend for me. Like, if I can just buy it on Amazon still, I'll just, I'm not gonna, I'll just do what I do now. I'm not gonna change. Yeah. And pay more for another app when I can just do the same thing and own it forever. This is slightly off topic, too, though. Um, did either of you see the headline that Favreau is, is writing and producing a Star Wars live action show? Yes. Mm-hmm. So, if you read the press release for that, that is supposed to be on Disney's direct-to-consumer service yes which i'm betting means their streaming service well if he needs any ideas just talk (laughs) to (laughs) baloney so at the very least it looks like we'll be getting a live action star wars series on that 
streaming service whenever it hits. Whether or not they put all their Star Wars TV shows and such on there, but it looks like we'll have at least one. So, Mike, we'll see if that's enough to get you. It'll depend on what the show is. <laughs> like, I like John Favreau, and I like what he does and everything, but it'll really depend on what the show is. Swingers in space. I'm in. You know, Han, Solo, Han Solo and Lando, you know, just walking around going, oh, you're so fucking money, baby. <laughs> Mitochlorians the series. <laughs> I think we, we stumbled on a million dollar idea here. Exactly. Needs to happen. Uh, Alright, I think that's it for us. Uh, if you've enjoyed the show, please stop by iTunes. You can leave us a five-star rating and review. Be sure to share, subscribe, and favorite the show wherever you listen to us at. As always, you can find us on Facebook. Search Bry Guy and his Super Friends or go to facebook.com slash Friends. You can send us questions, comments, topics, suggestions, any of that stuff there. You can also email us, BryGuySuperFriends at gmail.com or you can tweet us at BGSuperFriends on Twitter, even though I rarely check either of those. Facebook's probably the way to go. I, Paula kept tagging the, the the BG Super Friends Twitter account, and I would check it so randomly that it would be like a week later that I realized she tagged it in something. I was finally like, you know what? Just just tag me. Talk talk to my personal Twitter. I'll see it that way. Oh, no. No, I'm tagging it now. <laughs> Every time. At least do both of us. So now you're Otherwise, gonna, you won't get a reply from Now like you're going to get paranoid. I know. <laughs> Got to check no, it. Yeah, you know, at that point, it'll force me to check it a little bit more often so that could be a way for everyone to get in touch with me now uh all right so on behalf of mike paula and myself thank you for listening and we will talk to you next time